0: Well, amen. We're going to... Last week, if you weren't here, I uh, started a new series on worship. The battle for our soul. And worship is a battle. It's warfare. It's uh, it's determining the quality of our life. It's determining the quality of our soul. It's, it's determining who we are as a people. It's determining what... Um, what we're going to be in the future. And Last week, I just as kind of a recap of a couple of thoughts I had, last week I I started by talking about how everyone worships something. Every single one of us in this room, whether you sat down through the whole time and you didn't open your mouth and sing one song, guess what? You're a worshiper. It's what we worship that is the big deal. Every single one of us is a worshiper. Every single one of us worships someone or something. It is the, the sum total of where we spend our time, our energy, our emotions. Wherever we are spending those things, at the end of that trail is an altar. And on that altar is a throne. And it's not always Jesus. Jesus. And so everybody worships something because it's hardwired into our DNA. When you were created in the hand of God, when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he put in you the capacity to love and adore something besides yourself. It's hardwired. We are predisposed to want something bigger than us. That's why every people group on the planet has created some form of a god. Whether it's the sun god and the moon god, whether it's Roman mythology, Greek mythology, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, whatever ism you want to talk about, we've created gods because we're hungry for it. We long for something bigger. And that's why every one of us is a worshiper. Everybody worships something. And to take that one step further is that not are we just been created for worship, but we were created for God. That that worship is Need that we have that inner DNA that, that is constantly looking for something to adore, it was actually created for us to nicely fit with God. That all other things that we try to sit on that altar, to put on that throne, ultimately, after we've worshiped at that thing long enough, at the end of the day, you're disappointed. You get sick of it, and it's not enough. And you move on to the next little thing. And it never satisfies because we were created to worship the one true God. And so, that was kind of our uh, discussion last week. If you want to go on the podcast, I highly encourage you to go to our website. You can go to our messages and listen to that. Um, These are going to build upon each other, and so I encourage you to go there and listen. And so today, I really have just one big idea that I really want to just drill down and hammer into our hearts today, and it's this. We need to worship God more than God needs our worship. repeat that after me we need to worship God more than God needs our worship we need to worship God more than he needs it and listen I've said this last week and I'll say it again when when we talk about worship the stakes are really high it's because Worship is what God is all about. And I said last week, we, uh, should, worship should matter to us because it matters to God. You cannot be apathetic about this. You can't push it off, ignore it, forget about it, think it's a Sunday morning only thing. You can't do that because you're already you're worshiping anyway. You can't help it. And this is a big deal because this matters to God. And worship matters to God because he is worthy. Everybody say, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. And listen, I, I realize when we're making an argument for why we need to worship that that's not a super, you know, persuasive argument. Because we live in a me-centered culture, you know. I should worship just because he thinks he's worship; he, he deserves it? Yep. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the debate. That's it. That's, the, that's my only point. Wait, he's got to prove something. No, he doesn't. What's he done for me lately? Oh, we're going to talk about that one. <laughs> we are going to talk about that one in a couple of weeks. But in our me-centered culture, you know, adhering and saying yes to the call to worship just because he's worthy is usually not a lot of motivation. But I'm here to tell you, it's all you need. It's all you need because worship doesn't begin with us. Worship doesn't begin with us. Worship begins and ends with God. And God is worthy of praise from all people from all time. God is the center of everything that exists. He is above all the little gods of the earth. God alone is our creator. He is alone our sustainer. He is our originator. He is our life giver. He is beauty maker. Only him. That's why every glimpse into God's presence throughout the pages of the Bible. Affirms that God is dwelling in endless praise. Revelation chapter four. Verse eight says. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under his wings. Day and night they never stop saying. Say they never stop saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Say that with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. He lives in this place. This place endless, unceasing worship and praise. They never cease. These angels never take a break. They never stop, ever. Day and night, night and day, all day long, all night long, they never they are constantly affirming his infinite worth Psalm 19 verse 1 it says the heavens declare the glory of god and the skies proclaim the work of his hands why are they doing that well, i'll tell you why It's because that's what they were created to do. Day after day to tell God and anyone else who's paying attention. That God is huge. That he's all powerful. That he's glorious. That he's limitless. That he's beyond our wildest imagination. And you know. What's really wild? This massive God who has never, ever known a shortage of worship. Never known a shortage of worship. He wants to be worshipped by you right now. And it's again, it's not because he needs it. He's not needy. You know, he doesn't need any of our worship to make him worthy. He doesn't need my praise to be great. He doesn't need my love, my adoration to be awesome, to be beautiful, to be glorious. As a matter of fact, God cannot be more worthy than he already is. He cannot be more worthy than he always has been. It's not that God needs our worship. It's that he wants it. Say, he wants my worship. Now, for those of you who didn't say it, You get to say it. He wants my worship. He wants my worship. worship. And he wants it because he deserves it. In fact, not only does he want it, not only does he desire it, He commands it. He commands it. And here's why. Because to do so, to to command worship of us is the most loving thing he could possibly do. Now, I know in our Western thinking, no one tells me to do anything. I don't want a boss. Don't boss me. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do it if I want it. Well, excuse me, ignorant one. There's something you don't know yet. You haven't tasted yet of the glory that is yet to come. You have no idea what is waiting in the revelation of God. Because no eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. And no mind has comprehended yet. What you and I have in store. As far as the revelation of God and his goodness. And God knows that. And he knows we are ignorant. Every one of us. He knows we are small, ignorant, little people who are limited. And he goes, I know you're limited. I know what the the limitations of your flesh have created for you. And I'm saying it is so important that you push into me, that you press into my presence. I command it for your own good. It is the most loving thing he could possibly do. It's because God knows who he is. He knows better than all of us what he's worth. God knows that the best thing that he could ever give you and I is himself. That's the best. That's better than money, than a spouse, than beautiful children, a great job, being well liked, popular, boyfriends, girlfriends, good grades. It's better than all of it. Just himself. His supreme. To every pursuit you have in this life. Worship should matter to us. Because we are and we always will be a worshiper. It's what we do. We cannot help it. You can't stop it. You could think I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Well you just worship nothing. We cannot stop the worship that's coming out of our life. And we can't live without it. But you can choose where you invest it. You can choose to make your worship count for something today. You can make sure that your worship counts for something for eternity. It's because we are created for it. We are created for worship. That's why you and I are going to spend eternity living out and declaring the worth of God. The question is, is what is that going to look like before eternity? On this planet with these people. In this city, with my family, with my friends, what am I going to demonstrate? Am I going to demonstrate that my boyfriend or my girlfriend is the most important thing in this world? Am I going to demonstrate my music career or my sports career is the single greatest thing in my life? We're declaring our worth of something. We ha- And our, our job, our labor, our work is to make sure that the thing we declare to be of greatest value is really worth it in the long run. For me, I've... Got to keep making sure that what matters most is what matters most to me. And the same is true of you. It's imperative that each and every one of us find an object worthy of our affection. It's essential that we find a God worthy of our life's devotion. Because, guess what? You've only got one life. You have one shot to make every day count. And you only have one life of worship. you have one brief opportunity and time to declare your allegiance to unleash your affection to exalt something or someone above all else and my plea today is that you would not waste your worship on some little god that you would not squander your birthright on some idol. I'm asking us, will we be a people who guard our worship? Will we carefully evaluate all of the potential takers in our life? And then choose to offer it to the one. And, you know, to choose well doesn't necessarily mean that we can't appreciate things that are beautiful. We can't love other things in this life. That's not what God's asking. You know, it's certainly not wrong to deeply love another person. It's not a sin to be into Uh, MMA, McGregor versus Conor, you know, Mayweather, whatever these guys are. I didn't even watch it. I clearly don't love it, but some of you may. (laughs) It's okay. It's all right to have a favorite football team and cheer for them. It's okay to love to travel and check out new destinations. It's all right. Listen, when we elevate any of those things to the highest place in our heart, then we've gone too far. I want to say that great is the Lord and worthy of praise, He is to be feared. Above all other gods. For all other gods of the nations, they are idols, but the Lord made the heaven and the earth. And splendor and majesty are before him and strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Worship needs to matter to us because every day there's a battle. Every day there is a war for your worship. And the things that we elevate, the values we serve, none of those choices happen in a vacuum. There is a war that is raging for our worship, and it's been raging since before there was time. Even before the earth was formed, uh, one of God's highest position angels bolted from his presence. Refusing to join the ranks of true worshipers. Refusing to exalt God above all else. I'm talking about Satan. Lucifer. Lucifer and in the bible it records that satan fell like lightning from heaven because he desired to exalt himself more than god and because he wanted to be worshiped instead of give the worship he got banned from the presence of god and yet you know having Having been in God's presence, here's the thing. Satan knows that God is central. Satan knows how worthy of praise God really is. You know, he he heard the, 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 uh, the angel anthems. He was there when all of heaven would roar. He saw God's glory. But because of his pride, he could not bow his knee. And because he was spurred on by himself, he leads a band of fallen brothers. And he's spreading mutiny to as many as he can. And that's where we come in. How does Satan advance his rebellion against God today? I'll tell you. He does it by contesting God's supremacy throughout the whole earth. By trying to lead a traitor race to the sad condition that we find in Romans chapter 1 starting in verse 25. It says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. See, here's the deal. Satan cannot stop our worship. He cannot stop it from happening. But here's what he will do. He will deceive anyone who lets him deceive them. If we let him, he will lead us to empty wells and puny little gods. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Remember last week we were talking about Paul in Athens. And remember that message that he, he brought to them in, in his audience, you know. Paul, when he was there, he was addressing um, the council, which is at the Areopagus. And the Areopagus is, w- is named after Ares, which was their the God, Greek god of war. And when I think on that story again, I, I think it's interesting that this is the setting that God chose for Paul to give, the the address to the real meaning of life. I mean, God's word, God's truth landed right in the very arena where opinions battled, where the souls of men were being decided sometimes, what they thought, what they believed, what they valued. In the same way, I think that Satan, that fallen angel who challenged God, is challenging what God is saying to us. You know, when he challenges those things, those, that's what we call temptation. It's what we call deception. It's what we call falsehood and, and lies and theft. Do you know what God desires most from us? What he desires most from you. It's the one thing that no other person can give. It's your affection. You know. Although there may be a thousand other people who can maybe do your job. Do the work that you do. Anybody can play a guitar if they work at it. G chord's not that hard. Playing it in time might be a little <laughs> difficult. But anybody could get up here and do this. Anybody can greet at a door. Anybody can lay hands and pray for people. I mean, the work is the work. Anybody, if they choose. Nobody can give your affection away. Yeah, you can love God, but you can't love God on my behalf. No one else can give that. No one else can give God the unique affection that only I and He shares. Your parents can't praise for you. Your spouse can't love for you. Your pastors, your leaders, they can't lavish love on God on your behalf. It's only you. Only you can share that with them. And as much as God longs for that, for that kind of love and interaction, there is an enemy who is, is equally committed to stealing it. Now, I realize, you know, you may say, I, I've said sometimes before, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask for this war. <laughs> I didn't ask for this battle. I'm, I don't want to have to decide where my worship goes every single day. <laughs> I don't have to worry about idols. I don't want to be in this. I just want to live my life, make my choices, you know, do my own thing. Well, guess what? It is not an option. I'm sorry. Your life, my life, it's on loan from God. It is a sacred trust of opportunities and decisions. And every one of our choices is made on a battlefield with heavenly ramifications. I mean, even Jesus faced the same fate. You know, before, <clears throat> before going uh, public with his ministry, Jesus was led by God's Spirit into the wilderness. At 30 years old, 30 years old, Jesus was preparing... Preparing for what's coming as far as his ministry by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And really what God was intending to do was to teach this man how to lean heavily on his father. How to depend on him for every need. To cling to Abba for his very life. And we know that as the fast was coming to a close, Jesus was physically drained, but he was spiritually sharp. And the enemy, no doubt, sees that Jesus looked pretty weak and weary. And he comes to Jesus with three questions. Three very powerful temptations. And the first one was, you know, if you're hungry, and I know you are, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? Go ahead. No biggie. I watched you turn water into wine. That's not hard. Surely rocks to bread's just as easy. Second temptation was well, if you're the Son of God, why don't you just uh, jump off the height of this temple? Here? Surely your Father's going to catch you way before you ever hit the ground. Go ahead, do it. I believe in you. I know this could happen. But then there's the last temptation. And this one's very special. Because with this last temptation, Satan is trying to hijack Christ's worship. Here's the offer in Matthew 4, verses 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought this. When I read this, I go, what on earth is this guy thinking? I mean, what is Satan thinking? To ask the Son of God to bow down and worship a, a stupid, idiotic exile of heaven. Like, you got kicked out, man. Like, you're just dumb. Why did Satan think I could get away with it? There's a chance. I got a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Dumb and dumber, anybody of you. (laughs) I mean, you know, to ask the Son of God to worship a big dummy who got kicked out of heaven, someone doomed to die, someone banished to an eternal future (laughs) void of beauty and love. Never again will he hear the angel choir sing. Never again will he see the saints lift up their hand in perfect praise. I mean, this is deception like on crack, on meth, on, I don't know, monster energy drink, on Red Bull. I mean, it's, it's just like, how deceived is he? Well, we just saw it. Do you see what level of deception he walks in? Well, I love Jesus' reply, and thank God this was it. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. (laughs) Praise God for that. Your worship matters to God. If it didn't, Satan wouldn't care about trying to steal it from God. If you can't believe the Bible and you can't believe your pastor, can you believe that the big dummy knows how important it is? <laughs> and he's, he's out to steal it from you. Worship this, worship that. Hey, give your time to this, give your time to that. Forget this, put this, let this thing be what tells you what to do in your life. You know, there's one more reason why worship should really matter to us. And it's this, whatever you worship, you become. You can worship whatever you want, but there is always going to be a twist at the end of the story. Whatever you worship, you become obsessed with. Isn't that right, Benjamin? Whatever you worship, you become obsessed with. Whatever you become obsessed with, you imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. I'm going to say that one more time because I need the young people to hear it. And the old people who are still young at heart. Whatever you worship, say that. Whatever you worship, you become obsessed with. I become obsessed with. Whatever I become obsessed with, I imitate. I imitate. Whatever I imitate, I imitate. I become. Whatever you worship, you become obsessed with. And whatever you become obsessed with, you imitate. And what you imitate, you will become. In other words, whatever you value most will ultimately determine who you are. If you worship making money, you'll become greedy, you'll cut corners, you'll bend rules just to gain an extra dollar. If you worship your children and their comfort, you'll become the creator of entitled little gods who dishonor you and others in authority. And you become a voiceless welfare provider. If you worship some sinful habit, that same sin will grip your heart and your soul and it will poison your character to death. If you worship your stuff, your life will become materialistic. It'll be void of any real eternal significance. And if you give your, all of your praise to the God of you, you will become a disappointing little God. Both to yourself and to all the people who trust in you. Listen to Psalm 115. Verse 1, it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. We all know a song about that, don't we? And then we, have this, then we skip to verse 3 and we have this observation. It says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. He's the boss. But then we have this contrast that he describes um the idols that we love to make as people verse 4 but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men they have mouths but they cannot speak eyes but they cannot see they have ears but they cannot hear noses but they cannot smell They have hands, but cannot feel, and feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Not too high of a score for idols, right? But here's the clincher. Verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So here's the big question. What are you beholding on Facebook? What are you beholding on your television? What are you beholding on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, YouTube? As we behold and gaze at these things... I want you to know our attitudes start to change. Our values and beliefs start to adjust to the stimulus that we are receiving. Worship has begun and it is now accomplishing its goal. I tell you, who we are does not develop in a vacuum we become the product of what we see and hear, what we think and believe. Now, I am grateful that there is an upside to beholding. Second Corinthians 3, verse 18 in the ESV says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Yes, amen. Beholding the glory of God is why God made us. To stare at his awesomeness and to be changed from this level of awesomeness. Some of us more awesome than others. (laughs) To a better, bigger, awesomer awesomeness. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing. Everybody say one one thing. One thing I ask from the Lord and this only do I seek. Say this only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You know, there's a reason why David was a man after God's own heart, it's because David beheld the Lord. David spent his life going hard after God. David used every resource that he had to bring God more glory, more honor, more majesty. He held nothing back in his life from the Lord. And in those few moments when David did fail to bring God honor, David repented, and he ran right back into the presence of God. I'm going to read an excerpt from Chuck Pierce's book, The Worship Warrior. and He says this, The story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well is familiar to us. Jesus requested a drink to satisfy his temporal thirst, but offered her everlasting water. As they stood at the well, he told her everything about herself and revealed to her great insights about worship. Jesus told the woman that it did not matter where she worshipped. Rather, it mattered that she had the right attitude and heart. Then he explained that worship happens when a seeker comes into harmony with the nature and character of God and embraces his transforming spirit. Jesus said worship must be transparent, sincere, and follow biblical mandate. Jesus summed it up beautifully. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, we come face to face with our destinies. We move from obsession to reality. That is the transformation that took place in the Samaritan woman's life. The Lord shifted her desire, which had been aimed toward every guy in town, And he shifted it to himself. And then to seeing the whole city changed. That is what worship can do. Individual worship brings transformation. But when we worship individually, we can also see the territory where we live transformed as well. When we worship, we actually break out of conformity and move into transformation. Paul wrote this in Romans 12, 2. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform means to change or transfigure. And this comes from the Greek word "metamorphu," from which we get the word metamorphosis. And the dictionary defines transform as changing the outward form or appearance of, to change in character or condition, to convert. And in the broadest sense, transformation is the change of external form and inner nature. I believe the only way we can do this is through worship. It draws us out of the pattern of this world and into the life structure that God made for us when he knit us together in our mother's womb. Worship is a battle for our soul. Who or what will get our time and attention? Who or what is sitting on the throne of your heart? When we worship God, it is for our benefit. It is for the healing of my soul. It is for the transformation of my life. Simply put, we become what we worship. And if you don't like who you are or who you're becoming, you probably should take a quick inventory of the things that are on the throne of your heart. If you want to become more and more like Jesus, keep your worship squarely. Focused on him. Because we are designed. To reflect his beauty. We are designed to reflect his glory. We were designed to fit with him perfectly. To worship him. Just close your eyes. We're just going to pray. Father I just. Thank you, God, that you knew enough, that you that you were so wise in creating me to have this need, God, that you you command it, God, because it's for my good. It's because you know something I don't know. And it's so important you can't just let it be a suggestion. So today, Father, I pray right now that we would take. The command of worship, God, seriously. That we would walk, God, in your presence. That we would take the idols in our life out of the way, God. Whether it's my, my, my career, myself, God, my reputation, my whatever. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help us remove those things. Because worship is for us more than it is for you. And so today I pray, God, that we would walk in the value of your presence. That we would walk in the truth. That you are always here. You're always here. You're always around. You're always near. You're in us, God. That we would walk and carry our hearts in a way that says no to all other lovers. That says no to every other idol. That there is a yes in our spirit that can can be seen, God, by our family and our friends. That affects a city, that affects a, a, a county, a state, a region. I pray for us today, God, that we would say yes, that we would fully embrace the call. To love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And So today, God, I seal our time with the blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I just seal us, seal our hearts. God, I I pray that this word would not be stolen. it It wouldn't be choked out. It wouldn't be dried up, God. That it would find deep, fertile soil in our hearts. And it would produce a harvest. We would truly walk as radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God. I just speak that over us right now in the name of Jesus. Speak that over us, God. We are your radical, passionate, aggressive lovers. We vow to be faithful to you and to you alone, God. We thank you for this day, God. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, that we love, that we seek. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen.